Your grace that reaches far and wide to every tribe and nation has called my heart to enter in the joy of your salvation. That's what this morning has been about, entering into that joy. That's what all our services are about here in the Capitol Press family. From the word go, from our call to worship, to our songs of praise, our confession, assurance, the passing of the peace, our prayers, it's about rehearsing and remembering the gospel. It's about understanding and experiencing that joy of the salvation God gives to us because week in and week out, that's our deepest need. Understanding the joy of our salvation in God, that's what saves us from the despair of our defeats. That's what can save us from um, the often destructive delusions of our victories. Understanding the joy of God's salvation orients us to our Creator and the rest of His creation. When it comes to the passage we're looking at this morning, it's the joy of God's salvation that leads the author, the Apostle Paul, into this explosion of praise. My name's Rob. I'm our pastor, site pastor, Capital Press, Fairfax. I'm going to really miss passing the peace of Christ with them there in Fairfax, but I'm really glad to be here in McLean in the sanctuary. Thankful that uh, those of you who are joining us here, joining us in the fellowship hall, joining us online. Let's begin by praying and asking God to speak to us through his word this morning. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray, open our eyes this morning to see your power and your grace. Help us to hear this morning with clarity your truth and what it means for our lives. Show us our Savior, Jesus, for we wish to and desperately need to see him. Help us to understand what his salvation means for who we are um, and how we live. By your spirit and for your glory, we pray you would do these things in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you have a junk drawer where you live. All right, I, I don't know if it's just a Southern thing. I, I doubt that it is. In case you don't understand what a junk drawer is, it's the place in your home or your apartment where, for some mysterious reason, various and sundry things from all over the known universe somehow find their way there. And maybe, just maybe, the thing you're looking for is there as well, right? You open up a junk drawer, and you might find some scissors, uh, a spool of thread, some nickels, maybe a fragment of Haley's Comet. Anything could be inside that drawer. And why this talk of junk drawers? It's because when I came across this passage, when I spent some time studying it over the past weeks, that's what came to mind because of the staggering diversity and variety of the things that Paul talks about in this passage. Now, let's be clear. I'm making a connection between the variety and not the value, all right? No one needs to leave saying Rob called Ephesians, you know, 1, 3 through 14 junk, all right? That's how rumors get started. Um, it's actually the opposite. To the contrary, it's as if um, Paul pulls open this drawer of all the treasures that we have in Christ. And he pulls them out one by one for us to see and to celebrate. 
That's what's going on here in this passage. That's what we see in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And so we're going to take some time and we're going to look at it. It might be helpful to know that these 12 verses are actually one sentence in the original language. All right. So when it's as if Paul starts writing and he can't find a convenient place to stop because he's got so much to say about the joy of his salvation. And so we're going to we're going to pull out three blessings to look at here in this passage. I'm not contending that there are only three. In fact, I think you can make the case that there are hundreds within these 12 verses, but we're going to choose to just look at three of them. And in some ways, we don't need to feel the pressure to unpack everything that's said here Um, because these verses, in a way, serve as an overture, all right? In certain kinds of music and in operas or symphonies, not so much in country songs, but even in musicals, right? They, they have overtures, the, the, the beginning part that lets the listener know what kind of themes and melodies they might hear again throughout the piece. And that's some of what's going on here in these verses. We're going to look at three blessings. Blessing number one, I want you and I to see, is that God has chosen you. God has chosen you. You see, if we understand these blessings, we see that they transform the way we view God and we view ourselves. They transform the way we view our lives. Whether we're in middle school or whether we're middle-aged, understanding these blessings changes everything. And blessing number one is God has chosen you. We see it there in verse 4. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved Friends, that's rich. Um, there, are, there are clauses and phrases and single words in there that are pregnant with meaning and implications. Paul's wanting these Christians in Ephesus to know, hey, um, the fact that you're a Christian, that's not based on how these past few weeks have been going, all right? Whether you've been crushing it or whether you've been crushed by them. Paul's wanting these Christians to know, hey, your your salvation is not founded upon um, the fact that somehow you've come to understand something that others couldn't, or somehow you've decided to be moral when others wouldn't. Paul wants these Christians to know that actually your your salvation, um, it's founded on something that goes Uh, before you even existed, before actually the world even existed. That's where the hope of your foundation is rooted. And he wants them to be aware of that. We hear the doctrine of predestination, this choosing, and often we can feel like uh, this is a, a cold doctrine, but listen to the warmth of Paul's words, right? In, in love, with affliction, he predestined us, right? And, and, and look at one of the purposes of it, the relational purpose of it, to bring us into his family. He adopted us. We have been made the sons and daughters of God. 
Um, We could spend all morning, in fact, we could spend all summer unpacking that one word, adopted, right? And all that it means for us. Because you see, I I have this premonition, friends, that when we hear um, words like we hear in in, uh, verse 3, when Paul's pulling open this drawer and when he's talking about um, how God is to be blessed because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, my concern is we hear language like that and it, it feels comfortable in the church. It sounds like language we would hear in the church, but Monday through Saturday, we really don't hear that in our D.C. context, right? In the Pentagon, uh, in FCPS, down on K Street, we don't hear that kind of language. And so my premonition is that um, when we hear some of these words, adopted and spiritual blessings, we don't really understand all that they mean for us, right? Like, um, we're like, that sounds nice, but I don't know exactly what it means. I know what a promotion is, and I want one of those, I know what a girlfriend is, and I want one of those. I I know what a campaign victory is, and I want one of those. Every spiritual blessing, being adopted in Christ, that sounds nice, but I'm not sure what it means. It sounds like something I should want as a Christian, but I'm not sure it has a whole lot to do with my everyday life. Let me assure you that it does. And if you're joining us this morning and um, maybe you're, you're visiting for the first time, you're investigating Christianity, you might not be a, a follower of Christ, you might think that that kind of language, every spiritual blessing, being adopted, that can just kind of sound like unintelligible religious gobbledygook. Like, what does that even mean? Does it have anything to do with my life? Yes, it does. Uh, when it comes to being adopted in Christ, being predestined for adoption, I would contend that no greater truth Um, or no truth has had a greater impact on my life than that truth right there. Understanding my adoption in Christ. It's a change the way I view myself, the way that I process my past, the way that I navigate my present days. Learning to live not like an orphan, but to live like a son. Um the time that we could spend this morning on unpacking that one word, right? You know, this very day, there are places all over the world where they spend two and three hours in church services. But your awkward silence lets me know that this is not one of those places. (laughs) And that's okay, right? Um, We can spend all summer, we can spend the rest of our lives understanding the treasures, these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ were adopted. He also says, you've been chosen that you might be holy and blameless. That is, um, God has chosen you, and that changes the way that you live. You don't change the way that you live and then get chosen. There's a big difference there, right? When you understand that you're chosen, you start to live like the video that we saw, right? You start to make the kind of difference. You start to give your life to the kind of things that we saw there. Right? Paul's going to talk about it in the next chapter too. Right? You've been created uh, in Christ uh, for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Um, if you're a Christian and it's made no difference in your life, if your faith hasn't made any discernible difference in your life, then you should ask yourself some hard questions. Again, I know this discussion of choosing and predestining is hard. It can seem cold sometimes. Um, 
There's a lot of questions. I, I know I had a lot of questions, and often it's hard for me to wrestle with these things, but we want you to know um, if that's you this morning, you've got some hard questions about it, we see you. We want this to be a church family where you can bring your questions, and we'll enter in together, and we believe that our God is big enough for your questions. But we need to know this. Um, God pursuing and choosing and using his people, that's the story of the scriptures, right? That's, that's the story of the whole Bible. From, from the very beginning, God, in his fullness and out of overflow, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decide to, to create heaven and earth, and they decide and choose to create an individual named Adam, right? And God chooses to call to himself a guy named Abraham, and to use him. Chooses him in love and uses him. And a guy named Jacob, who is nothing but a scoundrel. There's no way about it, right? But out of love, God chooses and uses and changes and uses him to expand his kingdom. The nation of Israel, Rahab, Ruth, God chooses them. David, God chooses them. God is in the business of choosing and loving and calling people into his family to expand his kingdom. Even think about our author, right? The, the guy writing the letter to those in Ephesus, when he's talking about the, this choosing and, and predestining, he's not just sharing this because this was last week's lecture in seminary class, all right? Or in Sunday school. Um, this is not just an abstract theological proposition for him. This choosing and predestining, it's at the core of his story, and it's at the core of yours and mine as well. Because, you see, Paul wasn't pursuing Jesus when his life was changed. Paul was persecuting Christians, right? Um, Paul's plan was actually to exterminate the church. But God's plan since before the foundation of the world, was to, to choose Paul, to love him, to draw him to himself, and use him to expand the church in ways that he could not fathom. Let me ask you this. How would your life and my life be different if we understood that we were pursued and chosen and loved? Are you looking to be chosen by a boy or chosen by a boss? Are you saying things and doing things you never thought you would just so that you would be chosen because you don't realize that you already have been chosen? You already have been pursued by the king and creator of all things. Are you looking for recognition and approval when you already have it in Christ? So blessing number one, treasure number one that Paul holds up for his, for, for his audience to see, for you and I to see, is that um, God has chosen you. Blessing number two, God has redeemed you. We, we see it in verse seven here. We can um, read what it says. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What's Paul getting at here with this, this talk of redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? Maybe, maybe a story would help. There's a tale told of a small girl, all right? And this small girl lives in a town that's at the shore of this great lake. 
And this little girl loves the water, loves all things boating. Her affection is so great that with the help of her dad, she builds this model boat, right? She spends months together with her dad, crafting, fashioning this boat, making a sail for it. And when it's done, she'll go down to the shore. She'll play around in the shallows and just push it around and see the wind take it here and there. And unfortunately, on one day, there's a sudden gust that comes along and it blows her precious boat out too deep where she can't reach it. And then the wind continues to take this boat out to the middle of the lake, and then it gets so far that she can't see this boat anymore. So she goes home. She's a wreck. She's desperate. Her treasure is gone. And then there's one day she's walking through town, and there in the window of a shop, she sees it. There, that, that's her boat. She, she goes in and she tells the shop owner, that's my boat. I made that boat. Can I have it? And he says, no, you have to buy it. Right? Like a, a fisherman came in here and brought this to me and I paid good money for it. And so you need to buy it. So the little girl goes home and she does anything and everything she can to earn some money. And when she finally gets enough money, she goes back to the store and she gives it to the shop owner. She takes her treasured boat in her arms and she says, you are twice mine now. I made you and I bought you. Friends, redemption is the, the purchase price. Redemption is the ransom. Redemption is what's been paid and what's been given so that you might be brought back to God, so that I might be brought back to God. And the scriptures speak of it all over the place. Peter says, uh, you've been redeemed from the futility of your forefathers, not by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. And Jesus says himself, hey, Mark 10, verse 45, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The price paid is the blood of Christ, and the object of great value is our very soul. Christ lived his whole life and died a brutal death so that we might be brought back into the family of God. That's what it means to be redeemed. It means that when God sees you and sees me, he says, you are twice mine. I made you, and I bought you. And that's the treasure that we have in Christ. And Paul makes it clear that this is wrapped up in our forgiveness as well, that we've been forgiven because Christ paid the debt that we owed and lived the life that we should have lived. We've been forgiven for our failures, for our brokenness. And that's grace. Paul says that's all about grace. And that's something of when we say grace changes everything, our hope in this letter of Ephesians, you're starting to see how full that statement really is and all that that really means. How does grace change everything? Maybe this afternoon, ask yourself this question. What would it mean if I really understood forgiveness? Like, um, how would that change the way I view God, and how would that change the way that I relate to others if I really understood forgiveness, if I really understood redemption and all that was given so that I might be forgiven would I wrap my value and my worth up in my job or my grades or my relationships or my position and influence in, in church 
Would I really be tempted to wrap my worth and value up in those things if I understood what had been given to brought me into the family of God? Would my arrogance or my pride be kept in check when I, when I realized how much I need to be forgiven of? How much I need to confess? When we start to see these treasures of redemption and forgiveness and ask ourselves what they mean for our lives, that changes everything. Because you see, in redemption, in seeing that Christ gave his life, and that's what it cost, and seeing that he did it freely, that's what we receive. We see that um, we are more broken and messed up than we really even know. And we're more loved than we can imagine. That's what we have in Christ. That's what we have in redemption. So treasure blessing number one, God has chosen us. Treasure blessing number two, God has redeemed us. Treasure blessing number three is that God has a future for us. All right, verses 13 and 14, um, Paul has some inheritance chat, all right? He starts talking about what we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And remember at the beginning, we talked about some of those things we know and understand. Um, we said we know and understand promotions or girlfriends or campaign victories. Well, inheritance is another one of those things, right? Like we think about inheritance. We know about inheritances. Uh, Paul says this in verses 13 and 14. In him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this inheritance chat, um, again, we've, we've thought about inheritances, the ones that we maybe hope that we're going to get, the ones that we know that we're not going to get. Um, how many of us have thought how life would be different right now if we just knew that there was this large inheritance out there that was going to take care of things? Christian, Paul wants you and me to know that your Father in heaven has promised an inheritance for you. Right? He, he lifts the gaze of the Ephesians and he lifts our gaze up to heaven and to eternity and he, he reminds us that our God has promised a future for us and has promised an inheritance. He helps us see an eternity where um, there will absolutely be no fear or anxiety or suffering. He lifts our eyes to an inheritance, to an eternity, um, where there's not going to be one cancerous cell or toxic relationship. And he says, um, on your journey there, while you wait to arrive, while you, while you wait for this inheritance to come, God the Father has given you his spirit, the spirit of Christ to be with you, to lead and guide and direct you on this journey, to comfort you, to mark you. It talks about being sealed with the spirit. That is, you're marked as the son and daughter of the king. And you have what you need in the spirit until you have all of what you've longed for in the inheritance. I am not naive to the reality that many of us will go through hell here on earth. But Paul makes it clear that you will never go through it alone. 
You will have the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit with you. And you will never go through it ultimately because you've been promised a future. And in the Spirit, you have all that you need to sustain you until that day. God has chosen you. God has redeemed you. God has given you a future. Paul, he begins this passage with praise, blessed be God. He ends this passage with praise to the praise of his glory. And all throughout, there's praise. Friends, when we see all we have, when we see these treasures that Paul's holding up for us, um, it changes everything. Our lives become lives of praise. You know what? The treasures of this world begin to fade. They begin to lose their luster in a way. We can still enjoy them and acknowledge them as good. But when we understand what we have in our true treasure, we use these lesser treasures to point to him. It's when we understand all that we have in Christ, in him, through him, in the beloved, when we see that his blessings and treasures are rooted in eternity past, change everything about our present, and mean everything for our future, when we see that we have been loved and chosen and redeemed and promised a future, then and only then will you and I live the lives that we're called, created to live. Lives of sacrifice, lives of mercy and forgiveness, lives of joy. Lives where we see and celebrate and share the treasures of Christ. Let's pray and ask that God would make that so. Pray with me. Father, help us to see all that we have in our Savior. Impress these truths in our soul. Meet us wherever we may be. Help us to see the love you've shown in choosing us, the sacrifice given to redeem us, and the hope that we have in our future. And let that change everything about the way we live next week and the rest of our lives. Amen.